Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. It's another week of Georgia Tech football here in 2019. The Yellow Jackets heading to South Florida to take on the Miami Hurricanes. Looking for a big ACC win on the road. We'll be joined by former Yellow Jacket Philip Wheeler, as well as head baseball coach Danny Hall, as the baseball team prepares to wrap up their fall schedule with a couple of scrimmages at South Carolina and against Sanford. But first things first, let's join the voice of the Yellow Jackets, Andy Demetra, and color analyst Sean Bedford. And Georgia Tech, again, for the second week in a row, sets a season high in yards offensively, close to 400. That was the good. The bad news, Georgia Tech surrenders 38 uninterrupted points in the first half. What do you make of, of this past week's loss against Duke? Did we see improvement? Oh, we absolutely saw improvement. There's definitely growth over the course of the game, but anytime you give up a 38 to nothing run, it's going to be awfully tough to win that game. And, you know, Andy, I think you mentioned this during the broadcast, but in some ways it was reminiscent of that flurry of points that Duke managed to put on the Jackets uh, would have now a year ago. You know, it's unfortunate that happened, but I think towards the end of the game, we got to see Tech kind of uh, push tempo a little bit, find some success on deep passes, hit some big time plays, some, some explosive plays down the field. And I think seeing the development of those big time plays are going to be really helpful for the Jackets going forward. Well, let's start with the good. That opening drive was the best Georgia Tech has looked on its first offensive possession all season, hands down, bar none. So you now no longer have to worry about being that team that has not scored a point in the first quarter. You got that over with. But while you're playing better football and you see more plays of good football throughout a game, you just have to do it more consistently. You can't afford you know, four possessions where you net 18 yards like Georgia Tech had while Duke ran off those 38 unanswered points. That's the big key, and, and the next marker of growth for this team, guys, is can they be more consistent in moving the ball? And what's big for me is just stay out of those uncomfortable third-down situations. Some teams are built really well for it. Georgia Tech, though, its average third-down distance on Saturday was 7.6 yards. That's hard to do. It's hard to sustain drives. In fact, it makes the fact they converted 44% of their third downs look pretty impressive. But open up the playbook more when you can get into that third and three, third and four, even third and five range, and it completely changes the tenor of your offense, I think can enable you to get more consistency and enable you to get more consistent scoring from quarter one through quarter four. And Andy, to your point, consistency, I think it is a key word there. And I brought up the, the big plays, the explosive plays that Tech managed to find against Duke. But when you start digging into consistency, one of the hallmarks of a good team is the ability to not just hit that home run play, but to march down the field in chunks and be able to s string together drives. And that's one area where Tech has struggled all year. And, and really what's been telling to me is I, as much as third down success is indicative of, of a team's ability to, uh, to sustain drives, with Tech what seemed to be kind of the, the bellwether has been whether or not they pick up yardage on first down. And I think on that, that first drive of the game, we saw the short passing game come into play. We saw some plays to the backs out of the backfield, a nice mix uh, of runs off tackle combined with a short passing game that allowed James Graham to get into a rhythm. If Tech can do that and go out and make that a point of emphasis going forward and start picking up consistent yardage on first down, I think we're going to see this offense just make huge bounds. Defensively, during that 38-point flurry you guys talked about, one of the uh, real tough moments was seeing David Curry getting ejected for targeting. Quez Jackson came in 
along with Bruce Jordan Swilling, Charlie Thomas stepping up, and uh, as well as Demetrius Knight kind of trying to make up for that absence. And Quest Jackson really had a nice game, led the team in tackles with nine. Uh, what did you like from him in the defense once they kind of found their footing without Curry in the second half? What I liked about Quest Jackson and the rest of those linebackers was their willingness in the second half to to fill gaps, to maintain their gap integrity, and to not allow Duke to just continue to beat them with the run game. And I think that was one area where in the first half, you know, Duke was able to pick up five, six, seven yards at a clip, put themselves in those third and short situations and convert from there. But I thought that the linebackers did a good job of playing physical, of knifing into the backfield and getting some stops um, at or behind the line. And I thought that really made a big difference in the way the defense performed in the second half. And this is something the defensive coaches talked about. They didn't win enough of the 50-50 balls on defense. Plays, they could have closed out a drive, completed the drive, and taken the guesswork out of Duke's brain trust, whether they should go for it uh, on a third and, uh, you know, whatever kind of play they wanted to run, run pass on a, a third and long or on a fourth down. So you just got to you gotta continue to make a, an offense more predictable, uh, which I, I think Georgia Tech can still find some growth in. But you're right. There's some good raw material there, Sean. And let's see if he can continue against a Miami team that, to the surprise of a lot of folks, I think, is among the ACC leaders in passing. They're not afraid to air it out. They've got a great back in DJ Dallas, but they're still a team that's averaging more than 300 yards per game. I still think, as do many, that Georgia Tech's strength personnel-wise on defense are those DBs and safeties. And so might this play into Georgia Tech's strengths when these teams take the field on Saturday? Well, that's, again, a look at the Miami's passing game. They've done a very good job on that front. Defensively, they've also had a lot of success. A second in the ACC in rush defense, top 10 nationally, and the bottom line is when they hold or when their opponents score 14 points or more, Miami's 0-3. When they're held under 14 points, Miami's 3-0. and So defense has been a big part of their identity so far. Uh, what do you see from Miami and first-year head coach Manny Diaz? Well, defensively, you see that the linebacker core that has seemingly been there forever. And Shaq Quarterman, uh, Michael Pinckney, you know, guys who have been around, who have seen it all at this point. But what's impressed me is the production they've gotten out of their defensive line as well. Uh, you know, Gregory Russo, the freshman defensive lineman, has been a terror for the Hurricanes this year, coming up with five sacks, and he hasn't been alone in that effort. I think their ability to pressure quarterbacks has complemented their ability to stuff the run up the middle. I mean, this is this is one of the best defenses in the country against the run, so I'm going to be really curious to see if the Jackets are able to establish anything on the inside, but I think what that tells me is that it's going to be really important to be able to go to the air when needed. That's why I think Jordan Mason's tackle-breaking ability will be so crucial on Saturday because you're right, this is a Miami defense that can pin its ears back, that led the nation in TFLs per game last year. They're still in the top 25 in that category this season despite some personnel changes in the front seven. So when you can run some outside zone, make sure you make the right read and leave it to guys like Jerry Howard who's got them some thump to him. Leave it to... Jordan Mason, his ability to brush off first contacts and still get yards after contact, that's going to be key to not allow Miami to get Tech in a situation where it's third and long and they can just pin their ears back uh, and fire away, which we saw them do time and time again on Bryce Perkins of Virginia last Friday. And, and you know, Andy, Wiley mentioned that this is a first-year head coach in Manny Diaz, but let's not pretend that the defense is radically different because this is the guy who's been calling the defensive plays for the last couple of years. And one area where the Jackets have had success, regardless of the offense, has been getting to the edge and gashing the Hurricanes to the outside. 
So I think the ability to, to set the edge and get that outside zone going early and, and some of the inverted veer reads, uh, possibly some of the end arounds and reverses that we've seen a little bit in there, that could be a key to this game because that has been an area where the Jackets have found success over the last couple of years against uh, a Manny Diaz defense. And go back to two years ago, of course, Georgia Tech had that heartbreaking one-point loss at Hard Rock Stadium. Tech looking to avenge that and uh, pick up a ACC win here in 2019. Sean, Andy, can't wait to uh, head down to South Florida, uh, get some sun rays on Friday, and uh, watch some football on Saturday. Sounds good to me. Just remember the last time Georgia Tech beat Miami was 2007 at the Orange Bowl. So why has Georgia Tech struggled to beat Miami in Miami? Well, that 07 team, they had to shard choice. All the other Georgia Tech teams that went to Miami have not had to shard choice. Well, we got to shard choice back now. So I feel like he's a good omen to, to finally break that schneid and get Georgia Tech in the win column on Saturday. Boys, that's my bold prediction. Don't underestimate to shard choice and his presence on the sideline either. Love it. All right, next up, we'll have former Yellow Jacket Philip Wheeler join us. This is From the Flats. Great seats remain for the rest of the 2019 Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets home football schedule, including clean old-fashioned hate versus Georgia. Visit ramblinrec.com slash tickets to get yours today. Joining us now, Philip Wheeler, former Yellow Jacket linebacker from 2004 to 2007, part of some very strong Georgia Tech football teams, including Coastal Division champs in 2006. Also played nine years in the NFL twice in the Super Bowl, and, and Philip, it was so thrilled to have you here with us. Uh, what, what's going on? What's the latest with you? You're uh, based in South Florida now, right? Yeah, I'm down here in South Florida. I'm fighting off all the Hurricane fans I can fight off all the time. And, you know, uh, them being in the ACC and Georgia Tech being in the ACC, you know, uh, they, love, they love the Hurricanes down here. They're always talking about their old legacy, but, you know, I'm a big Georgia Tech guy, so I got to fight them off. You mentioned Miami's strong tradition. Right around you, you got to campus at Georgia Tech. Miami had just joined the ACC. And uh, one of the key moments uh, in your career was that win over number three Miami in 2005. That was a team that had lost just one game to that point in the year. And what do you remember about that game? 14 to 10, the defense had seven sacks on Miami's quarterback, Kyle Wright. You had two Kyle of them. Kyle Wright, yeah. Kyle Wright. I remember Kyle Wright. Yeah, what was that like? Oh, that was amazing, man. We had a great time playing that game. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about how uh, Miami's uh, legendary and, you know, the tradition, the great winning tradition and all the great players that have come out of there. They had great players then, too, but we were great on that day. You know, we had uh, Tashad Choice running the ball, running that power with uh, Coach Gailey and his um his offensive scheme. I remember uh, watching Choice run the ball, man. They were milking the clock. And, a lot of rushing yards on that defense, and uh, it was it was a good time. Do you remember the first time you heard Tashard Choice address the team uh, in in a locker room setting or or in a speaking setting? And what was your reaction when you first saw him speak or, or address a large group? Yeah, man, Tashard Choice was very interesting, man. When he got there uh, on campus, he had transferred, and as soon as he got there, man, he he was a he's he's a natural leader, man, and he just um, kind of took us took us to another level when he got there. We had good running backs, uh, but he was a, a great running back and a great leader at the same time. And just whenever whenever he spoke, as soon as he got to campus, you know, he kind of got everybody's attention. And, you know, he was somebody we could all follow. You know, we had 
great players. We had good players, but not a great leader like him. And that just took took he took responsibility in that uh, role of leadership as soon as he got there. What is your what is your best uh, Tashard choice story away from football? What's what's something people might not know about him? Away from football? Okay, so yeah, uh Tashard, man, he he's a talented football player. He's a, a great spirit, you know, and he was actually my roommate in my, my uh we shared an apartment together during college. Did you know that? No, I did not. Yeah, yeah. So we shared we shared we were roommates in an apartment for like two years. Our last two semesters, I think, in, in college. And um, so he, he's training for the draft. I'm training for the draft. And he had this nice, he's at, he had a Crown Vic. A Crown Vic is like a, a car. It's a car that uh, everybody had, uh, <laughs> well, everybody from, from the area we grew up in. Oh, yeah. They had, had all these loud speakers on them. He had speakers on the inside of his car and on the outside of his car. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you can hear him coming like a mile away down the street from Georgia, from like, if you're at Georgia Tech, you can hear him all the way from like all the way down Techwood. You know what I'm saying? You can hear him from miles away. And and he had a is a loud horn on his car, so and it was amplifying the sound from the the music. And if you know Tashar, he's a loud guy. He likes to express himself, you know, in a fun way. And and it's just that's just who he is. And he's always playing loud music in his car. He had a Crown Vic, and it was it was it was dope. So when you're when you're picturing him coming down the street and, and playing music at extremely high volume, what is what is the first song yeah. you picture him listening to? Uh, shoot, back then it had to be some some Young Jeezy or some Ti, you know what I'm saying? Some some of that Atlanta music, you know what I'm saying? That that we we came up on in college, that Atlanta music, and it's just just beating down the block, man. That was the shot choice. <laughs> so kind of what you what you know about that with Ti or. Something yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, what you know about yeah. that? You would play that. Oh, yep, that's a, sure. that's that's hysterical. That. Well, let's let's talk about yep. this year's team. Uh, Phil, again, you had a, had a nine-year career in the NFL, stellar a uh, couple of years there with the Oakland Raiders, played in a couple Super Bowls uh, with the Colts and the Falcons. But when you're watching the Georgia Tech team now, in, in a new defensive scheme brought in by Andrew Thacker, one of the key positions in this defense in 2019 has been the nickel position, and that's a a uh, position you're familiar with, spend a lot of time weak side linebacker and those types of responsibilities. Yeah. What do you see from a guy yeah, like same same thing? Yeah. What do you see from a guy like Caleb Oliver or a Johnny Kerr, Jalen Askew, the guys who are playing that position? I just see athleticism. They got to be versatile and athletic. And then uh, so a lot of times, some of those guys are more physical than the other. So it depends on you know what I'm saying what kind of scheme you're going against offensively. But you know, at the end of the day, there has to be a Versatile, athletic, fast, or not really. Too, you don't have to be extremely fast. You got to be quick, you know, in that position and be able to react quickly. And that's one of those positions I've played all my life. I played, uh, or not nickel, but a weak side linebacker, which is essentially the same thing as a nickel, depending on the package or the, the offense. But um, yeah, um, that's a that's a the fun position to play, and you know, you got to be versatile. Well, Philip, I'm excited that you'll be able to make it down or uh, that you'll be in attendance uh, on Saturday afternoon as the Jackets take on the Miami Hurricanes at Hard Rock Stadium. Going to join the team the night before for the uh, team snack. I want to wrap up with this. You're frequently around the AA in the off season and uh, come up to spring ball yeah. uh, regularly as well. But what was your reaction when you saw head coach Jeff Collins, uh, a guy who was on staff for a year while you were in school? Of course, he was dealing more with the recruiting side, whereas you were an upperclassman. 
But what was your reaction when he got the job? I was excited to have somebody that was back where uh, we we had a we had a we had a really good winning tradition back then, and somebody who can who knew about that and to come back to the school uh, years later, over a decade later, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, just somebody familiar to be able to grab the helm of Georgia Tech and, you know, just take control and take it in a different route. You know, there's a lot of energy going on over there. And um, it was fun to watch them practice. It looked like practice was fun. Uh, everybody's having a good time and, and learning football and playing, playing football still at a high level and at the right way, still having fun at the same time. I came to a spring practice this year. I was like, man, these guys, uh, I, I, could, I was like, man, if I could get some pass on, I'd smack some of these guys around, man, because I feel like the uh, the Hurricanes, man, like we, we used to beat up on these guys, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, Georgia Tech, we can still do that. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. No better time to start uh, <laughs> this Saturday here against Miami. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Philip Wheeler, uh, former uh, Shaw Raider down in Columbus, Georgia, former Yellow Jacket, and uh, nine-year uh, career in the NFL. Uh, Philip, again, thanks for the time, man. Look forward to seeing you uh, this weekend. All right. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Go Jackets. Next up, we'll be joined by head baseball coach Danny Hall. This is From the Flats. Joining us now, we've got a very special guest from another part of campus. That'd be head baseball coach Danny Hall. Coach, you're in the process of wrapping up fall practice, which includes two fall exhibitions starting uh, this Sunday against South Carolina up in Columbia and then next Saturday at home against the Sanford Bulldogs. And as you guys enter this fall, you're coming off a marvelous season, 47 wins, most since 2010, led the ACC in OPS, and you've won 10 straight ACC series at home. Do you feel like your team is now one of the 100 as you go into the 2020 season? Oh, probably, you know, and that's, uh, you know, certainly you kind of want to be one of the uh, the hunting. That means that other people think you're good. Uh, we did have a great year last year uh, and certainly was excited to watch uh, how that team came together, how they bonded, how hard they competed throughout the year. Uh, now we get a chance to uh, revamp for sure and uh, so have a lot of new faces, particularly a huge... Uh, you know, freshman class that we're trying to get up to speed uh, with the, the speed of the college baseball game. Certainly ha- have some returners, but, you know, there's a, a lot of guys that went out the door that were uh, great players and great competitors for us. Uh, you know, you just look at our lineup to, you know, see that Kyle McCann and Tristan English <laughs> aren't in the middle of that order uh, with a chance to change a game uh, with one swing of the bat. That gives you a little angst and then knowing that you don't have uh, Xavion Curry, Connor Thomas, or Brant Herter, uh, and Brant being because of his uh, Tommy John surgery, so that's our three weekend starters that uh, we don't have as well. So in saying that, the fall has been uh, getting these freshmen in, have, you know, kind of comparing them to uh, our upperclassmen, uh, trying to get our upperclassmen better. And, uh, you know, we get a chance here in the next couple weeks to go to South Carolina this uh, Sunday to play over there and, and uh, so really really good SEC opponent uh, so you know I'm anxious to see how some of these young guys react to uh, somebody in a different uniform uh, and then the following weekend here at home uh, get to play Samford and then that'll wrap up the fall so it's been a really good fall uh, you know I think we've got a lot of work done and 
you know, obviously have a new coach in Danny Burrell, and he's hit the ground running and had a major impact uh, already on our pitching staff. So it's been a good uh, good run at it so far this fall. Well, we can't gloss over the hire of Danny Burrell, pitching coordinator for the U- New York Yankees, uh, handling over 100 pitchers in their organization. Of course, they're battling right now uh, to try and make a bid for the World Series. When it comes to his arrival to your program, what have you learned from him? What has he brought from professional baseball uh, to your program? Uh, you hit it right on the head. I mean, he, he was actually responsible for 180 pitchers in their organization. And I've heard him say it that in the five years that he was the pitching coordinator, I think he's had over 30 uh, of his pitchers that have, he's kind of worked with uh, that have made it up to the major leagues. Obviously, a lot of these guys pitching for the Yankees right now, he's had a hand in their development, and that's probably the key word for me. I think he, uh, you know, obviously was involved in the development of all those pitchers, and uh, one of the first questions that I kind of ask him, you know, certainly, you know, not only do we need him to develop our pitchers, but he's got to be a good recruiter, a good evaluator, and one of the things he pointed out was is that, you know, they're signing kids in the Dominican that are 16 years old, and Unfortunately, those, you know, we got to, you know, <laughs> yeah, try to recruit uh-huh. and commit a lot of 15, 16 year olds these days. That's just where the recruiting is. But, you know, he uh, he obviously had had a hand in, uh, you know, even a guy like Luis Severino that, you know, signed at a young age, but was pitching in the big leagues at a young age as well. So, you know, he's impacted our program already just from a development standpoint uh, and also from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, we we are uh, a topic of conversation in a lot of uh, households that we haven't been a topic of conversation in, uh, particularly with uh, pitchers. So he's already impacted it. And, uh, you know, it's been fun just to watch him go to work every day. He's, he's the only pitching coach I've ever had that actually straps the catching gear on and catches bullpens. <laughs> and, and I'm not sure if there's another pitching coach anywhere in the country that uh, kind of does that, but uh that that's the first thing you look at and you're like well that's interesting but (laughs) his whole thing was he was a great hitter at wake forest and he goes i just feel like i can tell a lot more about how a guy is throwing if if i'm catching it and almost acting like a hitter so you know it's been fun to watch him uh he's been a great addition to our staff and, uh, you know, gives us a lot of certainly uh, excitement about the future. And joined by head baseball coach Danny Hall. So you bring in the pitching coordinator for the New York Yankees. You also bring in the fourth-rated recruiting class nationally, including uh, two young men who actually spurned uh, professional baseball opportunities being drafted. That'd be Trace Gonzalez by the Dodgers and um, Zach Maxwell by the New York Yankees on the mound. Uh, has this freshman class met your expectations thus far? I know it's early. Uh, they have, you know, I think it's a very talented uh, class. And uh, as I said earlier, particularly on the mound, we're going to need some help from uh, a lot of those guys. And there's certainly been, uh, you know, several of the young freshmen that have impressed me uh, with their arm talent for sure. Uh, but they also seem to throw a lot of strikes. And, you know, that's going to be one of my curiosities in these <laughs> next two uh, weekends on these games is, you know, how are they, do they still throw strikes when there's somebody in a different uniform uh, standing in that batter's box? But, you know, there's, uh, I think, plenty of position players that are going to push uh, guys that are returners. And uh, so, you know, I think the class, 
you know, it's, it's been a very impressive class. We've talked a lot about the new faces, but one of the uh, veterans now in your lineup's a guy, Luke Waddell at shortstop. And a lot of talents come through here the past several years. Joey Bart, Kyle McCann, Tristan English. But it was Luke who got the opportunity with Team USA this summer. What do you expect to see from him in his junior year? Now, number one, he's a great player. Uh, had a great year for us last year. Was a big part, <clears throat> I think, when we moved him to shortstop. I think that's kind of when our team uh, really took off. And, uh, you know, I think it helped him and it helped uh, uh, Austin Wilhite. Uh, I, I think Austin Wilhite's a really, really good defender at second base. So I think it kind of upped his game a little bit. And then I think Luke gave us a different look at shortstop to where he could just make every play that you needed somebody to make. And then he's a good leadoff hitter. He's, you know, he's a thorn in everybody's side. Uh, and then on top of it, he's a great leader. Uh, I think that's the one thing. You watch him and you say, yeah, that guy's a really good baseball player. But on and off the field, he's a really good leader. He's a great student. Uh, he's really smart. And uh, he's a great competitor. So, you know, it was great to see him get a chance to play on the USA team. Uh, got a chance to travel out of the country. And uh, that's an experience that he'll never forget. Well, I wasn't even out of the, I mean, it was out of the country, but it was over in Japan, right? That's yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they were actually in Japan and Korea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, it was, uh, you know, he just said it was a great learning experience for him this summer. Well, Coach, thanks again for the time. Can't wait to see you guys in action, or, uh, action this coming uh, Saturday against the Sanford Bulldogs, October 26th. And then, before you know it, Valentine's Day, opening day 2020, you got that cleared with the wife? Uh, yeah, I think she'll be okay with it. You know, <laughs> it's she, not the first she, time. <laughs> she's used to it by now. And, uh, but no, that's uh, you know, certainly something to, uh, to look forward to. That'll do it for this week. Make sure to follow Georgia Tech in Miami on the Georgia Tech Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast. Be sure to tune in to the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game days for live coverage. And subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.